I love talking to brilliant people. And despite what you may have heard about nothing but dancing videos on TikTok, some of the most brilliant people I've stumbled upon on that app are educators talking about futuristic concepts. That's today's guest in a nutshell because we've got one of my favorite creators and NASDAQ coming on the show. Hello everyone, Blythe Brumley with DigitalDispatch.io and host of Cyberly on Freightwaves with a guest who specializes in startups, science, and futurism. It's one of those episodes where I feel like a fifth grader asking super basic questions, but kudos to our guest Jack for making me not feel like an idiot while I'm asking them. Should we use algae to reduce our carbon footprint? He talks about it. Should we go to Mars or Venus first? NASDAQ covers it. How can NFTs be used in the business world? Talks about that too. It's a fun conversation that covers a lot of ground, so I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. So now that a lot of this technology that I'm mentioning sounds a little futuristic, but the future is essentially is already here. So it's best to take advantage of that until you're ready to start hiring a full on marketing department, or maybe you're you're still wanting to hire an agency in the future. But with that futurism talk, let's go ahead and bring in our guest for today's show. His name is Jack. He is the creator founder of NASJack, and he creates content centered around futurism startups and the topic that everyone wants to know more about, but not exactly sure where to start. And that's the metaverse, that's NFTs, all that good stuff. So let's go ahead and let me play a video first before we bring NASDAQ on. Okay, so in startups this week, Commonwealth Fusion just raised $1.8 billion to continue building their nuclear fusion reactor. Now, this is three times larger than any fusion company has ever raised before, which makes me optimistic that investors are willing to put a ton of money into this. Otherwise, a startup named Pulsar Fusion just tested their new rocket fuel, and it's actually made out of plastic. So it's plastic waste turned into fuel. I don't know what the byproducts are, so I don't know how much cleaner this is. But it's interesting because somehow they want to apply this tech to building nuclear fusion engines for space travel. And then if you remember my videos on the Xenobots, the researchers just figured out how to make them reproduce, which is insane and not as dystopian as it sounds. And it seems like Von Neumann machines are getting a little bit closer. A 3D bioprinting startup named Tissue Labs announced their new printer, which can print objects up to seven centimeters. Avia Doe Bio just raised $80 million to develop gene therapies to treat central nervous disorders like dementia. As for stocks, the Honeywell and Cambridge quantum divisions are looking at merging and EV startup Polestar is going to SPAC soon. So now that you have a good example of, of what kind of content that you can expect from a guy like Nasdaq, welcome into the show. I'd, I'd, happy to have you here. Give the folks a little bit of a, a background on your career and, and, and how you got started covering startups. What's up, Blythe? Uh, thanks for having me, first off. And yeah, my background on my career is that I'm a chemical engineer. And when I was in engineering, like I, I started learning about startups. I read Paul Graham essays and I actually went to university in Canada and Jeff Don was uh, my research or my yeah my research professor, and he was um, Tesla's one of main one of their main battery researchers. So after I was in Canada, I was like, okay, I want to go to the states. Where's the coolest place in the states? And to me, that was the Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada. So I drove there. I talked my way into a job. Uh, I stayed there for a little bit. It was pretty fun. And then I left. I started a startup. And then I met some YC founders uh, while I was doing that startup. And so I joined theirs as an early engineer. And then on the side, I started making content about the future that really excited me. And so the first video that kind of went viral or the first time that I really tried making NASDAQ content on TikTok was uh, recapping Elon's Starship presentation in late 2019. 
And that kind of took off. It got like 300,000 views. And I was like, whoa, okay, TikTok is really cool. It's doing better than my YouTube was doing. Uh, so I'm going to focus on this. And then I started making money from TikTok. I started doing it full time. I eventually left that startup and started doing NASDAQ full time. And essentially what I do is I just take everything that I make as a content creator, uh, the audience that I've built, the, the network that I've made, uh, the VCs that I've met, everybody. And I just invest everything back into startups that make me optimistic about the future. The next Tesla's and the next SpaceX is, is kind of how I phrase it. I love that because a lot of your content is obviously very futuristic. So it's it's awesome to be able to even imagine some of the things that you're talking about. But a lot of these things are, are happening in, in in real world. And and so with that being said, going into the first topic that, that I wanted to, I guess, and pick your brain is, is a terrible idea to use or a terrible phrase to use because uh, <laughs> everybody hates that phrase. Uh, but as far no, as like NFTs... <laughs> And the metaverse, how would you explain this concept to a five-year-old? It's hard because, so I make a lot of hard tech content and I wasn't super into NFTs for a while. And then, um, you know, I just, I just started playing around with it and I eventually got really into it. The best way to describe NFTs, I think, is just you can own a piece of the internet. Uh, you, you own a JPEG for now, but I'm very bullish on utility being built into these NFTs that make them significantly more valuable than they are right now. Right now, I think the main value is like social status. Um, but yeah, uh, for a five-year-old, um, I don't know, where would you start? Like, do you say MetaMask and then OpenSea? And then you just, you, owning a piece of the internet is how I would, call, is how I would phrase it for a five-year-old. I think um, for, for a lot of folks who follow, you know, a sort of tech and philosophy thinking and where the future is going to go, Na- Naval is, I, I think that's how you pronounce his last name, or, or Naval. Um, he actually Naval. had, he explained it really great. And he said that the NFT is essentially your future web page in the metaverse. It, it, would you agree with that assessment or, or is it slightly more nuanced than, than thinking of it in a website form? It, yeah, I, I, I think it's more like real estate. So it's more 3D. So I think once the metaverse starts getting built out and people actually start using it, uh, it's like owning real estate in the metaverse. Well, that actually brings up one of my questions that I wanted to talk to you about, because uh, I, you're hearing more and more about how, you know, businesses are joining, you know, the the, the new sort of, uh, I guess, the Soho's of the world and uh, uh, it's sort of Madison Avenue, like all of these different real world high va- high traffic sites that people just walk around Madison Avenue I think is a perfect example um so how would i guess a business sort of take advantage of the new metaverse are you buying digital property are you buying the same property that you have in the real world in say like superworld or decentraland um or are you is it a completely new landscape that you should be thinking of it as like you're not really tied to the real world anymore you need to be thinking digital first. Is that the right mindset, I guess, that you need to think of it as? Yeah, I I don't really think of it as... um, I I, I don't think like the analogies work perfectly. Like there are VCs that are... I saw a tweet the other day where it was like, I'm looking to fund the Web3 of Airbnb and the Web3 of Uber. And it's like, I I don't think that's the right model at all. Um, It's it's completely new. And so companies like Nike, Nike, um, they aren't really like making just copying their shoe designs and then putting them online what they're doing is is completely new uh i think they're doing like user expansions to fortnite and stuff and like integrating with those that content natively Uh, i don't think the analogies really apply uh it's definitely a different framework 
Yeah, because I, I heard a, a, an interesting way to, to compare it is that instead of direct to consumer, these businesses need to start thinking of it as direct to avatar because fashion, especially in the metaverse, is being used as a communication tool. And so I think people are also trying to apply it to digital real estate, which is now like digital real estate agents, which I think is crazy. I think uh, Decentraland, um, that there was one story that, that took a hold earlier in the week. It said Decentraland and the $2 million real estate purchase of what's being called the equivalent of Fifth Avenue or Rodero Drive. So it, it, from the business wow. perspective, how do you think? Yeah, it's crazy. Digital real estate agents is fascinating to me. Um, <laughs> but from the business perspective, how do you think that businesses should, should they care about this transition now? Or is it still kind of like a, a wait and see period to see how it evolves from, like you mentioned earlier, which just, you know, sort of a JPEG right now, but it has so many possibilities for the future. Should businesses jump on now or sort of wait it out? I mean, so if you're a new business and you're trying to uh, just make money and revenue and there's clear paths in the uh, normal avenues like Web2 avenues, I mean, you should definitely focus on that. But I think if you have uh, the space or if or if you want to develop in the Web3 like natively, I, I think like go for it. It's the frontier and the frontier is always where money's to be made. So I, I, th I think uh, you should absolutely be focusing on the frontier. And like e even if you're an established company um you're going to get left behind and then you're going to be starting to focus on it a year after like Nike started focusing on it. And you're just, you're just not gonna, you're not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> what about the role? So, so speaking of it from a business perspective, that this is absolutely something that they should be looking into and investing in now, especially from a, just a time and understanding perspective. What about for the everyday person? Uh, should, what, what's the role of, of the, you know, metaverse NFTs, all that, you know, sort of new way of thinking about the internet how should regular people be approaching this? So a lot of people are like, how do I learn about the metaverse? And uh, to me right now, actually, the metaverse is like my desktop setup right now and like Twitter and making content. Like to me, that's the metaverse. And I think for the everyday person, if you're not specifically building something and you just kind of want to learn, like, I think just try to make money on it. I, I think just play around with it. Um, install MetaMask, try to uh, ape some coins and, and some NFTs and have fun. And uh, maybe not on the ETH network because it's really expensive with gas fees, but maybe a separate network. I mean, just play around with it and uh, you'll find something that like speaks to you. And then you might be like, okay, maybe I can build something here because there are so many opportunities where like an average person can uh, just learn the skills because there's not a huge moat around the skills and you can just start picking it up and join a DAO. I mean, I'm not specifically bullish on DAOs, but like join a DAO, join a team and start uh, just having fun and trying to make money, I think, is would think be my incentive. <laughs> That, that was sort of my my thinking as I sort of start tiptoeing into this world is like, well, I could make my own or, oh, I could just buy this piece of real estate. And I, I was a little scared to, to buy the real estate because then I think the real concerns come into play where what if you're buying a piece of like government land and then the government tries to come into the metaverse and tries to take the <laughs> land that you bought. And it's like all of these I, different complications. 
I own a, a portion of the Hoover Dam where there's like these uh, giant wing statues. And I want to uh, forget. I forget the name of the website. I thought it was kind of boomer, but I was like, OK, I want to own part of this statue because then uh, people can like view it and I can maybe get revenue from this uh, <laughs> in the in the VR world. But it was it was more like map to earth. So I don't know. It was just like a funny little play. <laughs> And so you actually did this. So you pulled the trigger. I, I didn't pull the trigger on it yet. Uh, yeah. I was looking at more of like sports stadiums and I'm like, well, if the if we're AR is more of the play augmented reality, sort of like the, you know, Pokemon Go or Snapchat, you know, their their AR that they they built into their app. That's what I was thinking, that that was more of a, a quicker play than, than maybe diving fully into to NFTs. So maybe I'll just buy some land at a sports stadium and get the foot traffic <laughs> yeah. that way. I mean. I mean, so I don't know. So the problem is, like, will this website be the one that takes off? Like, did I buy the property on the right platform or is it just going to be another platform that takes off and has that plot of land? Because I don't know. But um, one thing that I also did was I bought a plot of land where the Wright brothers uh, first took off from their plane. And so I was like, OK, if people maybe visit there either in the metaverse or in like AR, there can be like a, a picture or like a video of them like taking off. And I thought that would be really cool. Um, yeah. So I just, I just kind of went for it. I think it was like point to Ethereum or something. Uh, I don't really remember, but I was like, yeah, this is just an option call. <laughs> yeah. It's just rolling the dice and seeing if it works. And so if that platform takes off, awesome. If not, uh, there, yeah. there's other plays <laughs> similar to that. So that's just kind of like the, the concept of thinking for for the audience in mind. Uh, but what about sort of, I guess, the, the flip side of it? We talked about a lot of the fun things of it. But what about the flip side of it? Obviously, Facebook made a lot of no, made a lot of news and, and noise um, when with changing their name to Meta and, and diving headfirst into the metaverse. Is is are there protections that are being built to avoid the big tech companies controlling it like what they do now in Web 2? Are there protections being put in place for Web 3 as far as, you know, some of these bigger companies entering the space? Yeah, so I'm not concerned about Facebook entering the metaverse. I think it's going to be really hard for them to build those kind of moats. Um, I've already had multiple founders reach out to me and they were like, I'm building in the hyperverse. And I was like, what's the hyperverse? And they were like, the metaverse is cringe now. <laughs> and so so I think I think like people will just like you can also just fork code um, because it's essentially open source. So like, you, you know, uh, SushiSwap forked Uniswap. And so like I was thinking the other day, like, when I'm listening to an audiobook on Audible, like, why can't I play background music, like instrumental music? And I was thinking that, like, if it was Web3, like, somebody would have just forked Audible and then um, added a background music thing and then they'd be winning and then Audible would have to, like, catch up. So I think, you know, as long as it's open source, as long as it's on the blockchain um, and... I, I don't think like they'll achieve mass users if they actually don't do that kind of stuff. So uh, I think it'll be really hard to build those kind of modes. I think you, you have to look at other modes. Uh, once again, like I don't think the web two to web three, like Airbnb, but web three analogy applies. So uh, I'm not, so it really I'm not has terribly to concerned. Yeah. So it's like a whole new frame of thinking that kind of forget what you know about sort of the real world and and, and get engaged with the di this new digital landscape and figure out how to solve problems there. I just even have how to have fun first. And then when problems arise and you can figure out how to solve problems and make your investments accordingly. Now, yeah. switching gears a little bit to to the startup world, which is where you spend a lot of time and energy. Um, so my first question, because I watch a lot of your content, your favorite CEO not named Elon. 
Um, I'd have to say somebody that I invested in, right? I think that would be um, Deep Prasad. He's he's building uh, quant. He's using quantum computers that already exist to build new materials and new quantum sensors and and, and every, everything like that. And uh, I'm really bullish on him. So, um, but out of people that I uh, maybe like, I, I I kind of like Peter Beck. I think he is really interesting. Um, I kind of like the Solugen founders. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, but but I, I would have to stick with somebody that I invested in <laughs> that isn't so well known yet. When, when you, I think uh, the well, way sure. that I think about it is like he's kind of the the, the one of the next Elons is, is genuinely how I think about it. And what is he doing? If you don't mind me, just what kind of uh, I guess the, the, the quantum is he the quantum stuff. Yeah, what is it? What he's is doing the quantum, quantum stuff? Oh. So, so like one thing is you can use quantum computers to uh, develop new materials. So you can essentially use like uh, kind of classical machine learning, but in quantum. And then you can use machine learning, find new materials, and then manufacture those materials. So um, one of those, one like quantum material that I really want to build is a room temperature superconductor. And so that means like most superconductors right now have to be super cooled. Um, they call them high temperature superconductors, but the it's like negative 30 degrees Celsius. Uh, don't quote me on that, but it's you need a whole cooling apparatus. And so if you had room temperature superconductors, uh, one thing you can do is like energy transmission across the grid. Um, right now, like if there's a power plant in like, let's say outside the city, um, it has to transmit energy to the city and it loses energy while transmitting that. And then like to another city and another city. So it's, it's, um, you're, you maybe have like 90% of the energy. Don't quote me on that either. But if you had room temperature superconductors, it just transmits the energy. You don't lose any energy. And then at the same time, like room temperature superconductors or even higher temperature superconductors, if we can build those materials, then, um, that will be really, uh, helpful in like fusion reactors because what the superconductors do is it, it kind of helps with magnetic confinement of the fusion field. And so if you have higher temperature superconductors, then the heat that goes into those superconductors you need to cool them less and they'll stay superconducting. And so I think it gives us a much better chance at actually creating nuclear fusion. And so with a lot of the technology that, that you invest in, that you research, is a lot of this technology centered in the U.S.? Is it sort of or, or are there other countries that are doing maybe a better job of investing in, uh, you know, sort of complex solutions to the complex problems that we have today? Like, where does the U.S. kind of rank as far as being a solution provider? Uh, I think the U.S. is pretty good. I've pretty much invested in U.S. companies. There's some Canadian companies as well that I really like. I have gotten deal flow for some Indian companies um, and, and other countries. I haven't invested in any of them as far as I know. I think America is still the frontier. I think America is where you go zero to one. And people... Uh, you know, maybe the economic conditions are tough due to inequality and stuff, but um, I think that's an incentive and, and you can actually rise out of that. It's good to hear that the U.S. is a little is doing something right <laughs> as far as like the global perception is well, concerned. Yeah, yeah, I think like I think uh, like. I, 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 I'm not bullish on government programs, really, like uh, NASA's LSLS. Like, I'm not super bullish on that, and it's just going to get delayed and delayed. Um, I think, like, NASA should kind of be like a, a venture capital arm of the aerospace inter industry, and they kind of are like this. But, uh, like, I'm very bullish on, like, the private sector developing new technologies. 
Well, speaking of, of, of aerospace and, and private companies, uh, what about as far as like, what is your favorite Elon company? Because he has so many and they're so futuristic as, as far yeah. as that's concerned. Uh, do you have a favorite Elon company? I mean, I talk the most about SpaceX just because it's still kind of a startup and I like startups and I want to go to Mars and I want to go to the moon and I love the Starship architecture. Like I've, I've gone down to Boca Chica a lot. I've seen the Starship. I've talked, I'm friends with everybody there. Um, I think that one is probably my favorite and makes, makes me the most optimistic. I think technically Neuralink might be the hardest. Um, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know like how optimistic I am about that future. Although, you know, I, I think I would uh, err on the side of being more optimistic than pessimistic. What about Starlink? Is that because that one is the one that for me, it gets me the most excited because I, I think about the the areas that can't access, you know, high speed Internet and how much of a, a deterrent that is for their learning capabilities. Do you think that, you know, sort of a, a global a satellite Internet, is that uh, paving the way for the future? Or is it still relying on some of these bigger companies like the AT&T's and the Xfinity's of the world? Totally. So when I say SpaceX, like uh, I include Starlink within that subsection. I really hope that Starlink IPO soon as like a, a company underneath SpaceX. I think that I would uh, I, I would really appreciate that. And then, um, yeah, I'm definitely excited about Starlink being able to provide Internet access across the world. I think that is incredible. And I don't think that the Internet companies will. Well, I don't know. I mean, it depends. It depends on how well they can develop their terminals and like populated across cities and, and within places. But I, I'm very bullish on Starlink. Absolutely. Like to hear that because that was one of the ones that I'm like, ah, you know, it sounds really good in theory, but then uh, you, you never know as far as like PR media releases as if you're, you're, you're hearing if it's actually going to be uh, something that, that, that works for the future for just regular folks that are just, you know, doing the simple things as just trying to get standard internet access. Um, are there I, think, any, I think it's actually more of, meant for, Sorry, I think it's more meant for the standard folks um, instead of like, I think uh, high frequency trading might be helped by Starlink, because if you transmit the data through a vacuum, like it, it goes from, let's say, New York vacuum into space and then down to London, I think that might be faster than going through transatlantic cables. Um, but at the same time, I think the majority of the revenue is going to come from rural areas first. Mm. I think that's their plan. Now, when. So with with what you mentioned earlier, you said that you want to go to Mars, but I was listening to a conversation that you had on terraforming and that person was really bullish on going to Venus. So have you switched mm -hmm. your mindset as far as which planet that you want to go to first? <laughs> well, so I think... Um First off, I do want to go to Mars, but I'm also scared. I would probably go to the moon first um, just because it's like a three-day trip and, and you know, it uh, feels a little bit safer. Um, as for Venus, so that guy, he was using algae uh, to – right now he's creating, like, products from algae and then also, like, carbon credits and, and stuff like this. But he was talking about – growing ships from algae on Venus using the CO2 as like a substrate. And I thought that was incredible. Um, I don't, I actually, I, I, I don't think I'd want to go to Venus though, even if it might be easier just because you're kind of in a floating ship. And to me, uh, that's kind of scary. <laughs> like you have to, you have to be in a ship. Like I'd rather just be on the ground and I think Mars is a little bit better for that. But, um, yeah, even though Venus might be better, it might just be like a illogical reason that I want to be on Mars. 
Well, I, I think that it, that actually brings up a good point because I think there's like a psychological benefit. They talk about like grounding for humans, that it, it's better for us yeah. to be outside and like barefoot and connected with the earth. Uh, some kind of like different wavelengths that happen on our brain when we are connected to the earth via just by touching the ground with our feet. So I think that, that that's, that's an interesting concept, even though he did mention that if you're on Venus, you would have a 24-7 sunlight, which I don't know if is like a terrible thing, but it sounds like a pretty good thing. I like sunlight, so <laughs> that'd be fine. Who doesn't? Now, speaking of like sort of the the environmental angle. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I, I would imagine that I'm in Florida. So I, I live and breathe the sun. I, I hate the months of like December and when uh, December and January when the sun sets at like 4pm is so depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as like the environmental aspect are, are there any like environmentally friendly or like sustainable startups? Um, I know you mentioned algae is, is like a really good sort of just different thought process. Um, what is the, I, I guess, are there any that you're really excited about when it comes to like environmentally friendly and sustainable startups? So I am actually uh, with that podcast that I recorded. His his startup is named Spira Inc. I am pretty bullish on like using biological carbon capture methods. Um, I'm more bullish on that than using mechanical carbon capture methods. I don't want to like trash startups, but essentially like I think biology has figured out how to carbon capture. And if we can genetically engineer organisms to do that better, I I think that's awesome. Uh, So Spira Inc. is definitely one of those there's some other ones that are, uh, you know, capturing, like sending out ships into the ocean and then they grow uh, kelp or and then what they do is they sink it to the bottom of the ocean. And that won't be super long term on like a geological timescale, but I think it could be helpful. Um, yeah, those are those are two that I'm bullish on. Very biological uh, focused. What about from now, since this is a, you know, freight and logistics sort of platform, uh, what one of the bigger topics that's within the industry is is autonomous vehicles, uh, electric vehicles. Uh, but some of that technology like is, is already here, but not necessarily for the, the transportation modes. Do, do you see both of those options as being something that, you know, sort of transportation modes need to adopt sooner rather than later? Or is this something that's going to be adopted more on the consumer side of things? before businesses start taking advantage? Yeah, so for logistics, I mean, uh, the majority of the driving is just on highways. So I think what's going to happen or what is happening is there's going to be trucks with, uh, you know, a human in it that can kind of sleep just while it's on the highway. And then once they get into the city, they just uh, take over and start doing that. So I think that's kind of where we're at now or like in the near term future. Um, And like the the main project that I'm bullish on for autopilot is you know the Tesla uh, autopilot and I don't know there are some concerns with that but I, I think they're doing a good job and I, I don't know which one will happen first. <laughs> I think too is it, the, the big issue that we constantly hear, especially in, in this space, is that the 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 drivers, how is the driver relationship going to evolve with these autonomous trucks coming onto the scene, and then also the infrastructure issues, especially with electronic uh, or with EVs, uh, that that is going to be a big hindrance from from mass adoption. Um, do you see any kind of improvements as far as the infrastructure is concerned uh, to encourage more electronic vehicle adoption? Uh, like, are you, are you saying like, should we retrofit our highways with like automatic chargers as you're driving and stuff like that? I think that is very interesting. It's super cost 
intensive. So I don't, I just don't know if the government will put money towards that. So, I mean, if it's profitable for a startup to do that, maybe within like a section of a city at first, um, then they might build that infrastructure, but I'm pretty bearish on that compared to just like learning how to drive in our natural environments and then building out like charging infrastructure, uh, wherever we needed in, in replacing gas stations. I think, too, that that was uh, Tesla, one of their their big announcements or that they wanted to to make a bigger announcement about it is that they're going to have sort of their own gas stations or their own, you know, EV charging facilities that are, are that are built all across the U.S. And that because it takes a while for your your electric vehicle to charge, that they want to make those gas stations more of an experience that you're going to be there for a while. So you might want to hang out for a while. Which I think is 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 pretty fascinating to think about that humans yeah. are just hanging out at gas stations. Well, they, at the same time, they are also starting to integrate silicon into their anodes, um, which to me means that we'll get faster charging times than thirty minutes. Mm-hmm. It might take a few years, but eventually, I don't know, let's just say like a decade, um, I think we'll just pull up and charge pretty quickly. I don't think we'll swap batteries. Uh, I think that's too much infrastructure, but I think if we start developing batteries that can uh, accept the fast charging, then that that'll happen. But yeah, I definitely for now, like it is an experience going to the to the charging station. But at the same time, like if you have a home or an apartment that has the infrastructure, like you just plug it in at night and then you're always fully charged. So I, I never understood range anxiety. I think it's just a political thing. Yeah, it sounds range anxiety is a perfect way to put it. All right. Final question. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about during this interview that you're really excited about for the future or or what's happening right now? Yeah. So uh, one of the most important areas of research that I think is like undervalued is bioelectricity. And so I've, I've discussed this before, but but essentially like most biological researchers uh, focus on genetic editing because they believe that the gene code is the hardware or the sorry, the software of life. And that if you can edit the software, then you'll change the hardware, which is the body. But bioelectricity kind of flips this and it says, OK, we have these genes. These are actually our hardware. And then what we can do is we can manipulate bioelectrical pathways to uh, to change stuff like software. And so it's like manipulating the code of life. And so an example of this is that there's a type of worm where naturally, if you cut it in half, you you essentially have two halves and then you cut it. And let's say this is the head on the, you know, so you have a head, you cut it out in the middle, it will regrow its tail. And but if you change the bioelectricity at the wound as you cut it, um, it will regenerate another head. So you can make it regenerate a head and you can control this without doing any genetic engineering. And so then what they, you know, the next step of this was they took a frog, they amputated its limb. And, you know, if you, if you amputated it, it's going to naturally scar over. Um, but without any genetic engineering, all they did was they added a biodome for a day and then it had progesterone in it. It changed the bioelectric pathways and then it started regenerating the limb. And so like, I'm very, very bullish on this research. Uh, Michael Levin is one of the leaders of it. I have a podcast with uh, Sam Kriegman, who's also, he, he's more on the computational side and I'm eventually going to have Michael Levin on soon. And so like, I, uh, there's a picture in a lecture from him where he is regenerating the limb of a mice. Uh, he has not, published that yet, but I am confident that it's coming down the pipeline. And then like in a few years, like you can have, um, 
uh, I fully believe like we can do this to humans. Like when we're children, if you're under the age of 10 and you actually lose part of your finger, like the top part of your finger, uh, it will regenerate. And like, we just kind of lose this, like it's in our genetics and we just lose it over time because of whatever, like our, our bioelectricity pathways. But if we can stimulate these bioelectrical pathways, then we can start regenerating limbs and like maybe who knows where this can go. But like if our brains start atrophying, like can we regenerate the brain? Like all these things, um, I'm extremely bullish on it. And I think it's extremely undervalued because everybody's focused on genetic engineering, which is like, valuable and i think that has its applications but uh understanding the code of life is what michael levin's trying to do and i think that's going to unlock a lot that's awesome i think that's a perfect note to to end on on the discussion because fascinating discussion i feel like i could talk to you for hours about all of this different stuff you'd have to break it down like a five-year-old for me but it's it's fascinating (laughs) nonetheless all right where can folks follow more of your work yeah, I mean, my, my job is just to explain things uh, as simply as possible and and find the cool stories out there. Um, just follow me on Twitter at Nasjak underscore underscore. TikTok is Nasjak, uh, N-A-S-J-A-Q. And then my podcast is Nasjak Futurism, F-V-T-R-I-S-M. I have a podcast. Also, just uh, type in Nasjak. Uh, that's my main YouTube channel. And yeah, I'm just trying to interview right now. I'm focused on the podcast, trying to interview uh, really cool researchers building the future and also founders building the future and just stuff that makes me optimistic. So thanks for having me on. Awesome. Appreciate it. I'll, I'll link to all of those things within the show notes so folks can follow you pretty easily. Uh, appreciate your time and thank you again for coming on. Great discussion. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Absolutely. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. If you like what you heard, consider sharing it with a friend. Podcast discoverability is a bit of a challenge for creators like myself, so word of mouth goes a long way. You can check out past episodes of the show by hitting up the learn page on digitaldispatch.io. I also have some free courses on the site that cover content marketing, distribution, and even how to audit your own website. That's going to come in handy as everyone starts to prepare for those 2022 budgets. While you're there, you can also check out our socials, the DIY shop, or custom services. Until next time, I'm Blythe Brumleave, and I will see you real soon.